Good morning. This is NPR News. I'm Brant Williams, in for Angela Davis. According to a recent study by Pew Research, millennials and members of Generation Z, or people who were born after 1996, think about and worry more about climate, climate change than people from older generations. And even before the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change reported earlier this month that a hotter future is essentially locked in, Young people have grown up seeing the impacts of climate change, such as increasingly frequent and larger wildfires, extreme heat and drought, heavy rainfall and flooding. In a report released by UNICEF last week called the climate crisis a child's rights crisis. Well, there's a lot to be concerned about, to be worried about, and even be anxious about. Climate anxiety is real, and it is impacting the mental health of people from a range of generations. So this hour, I'm going to talk to a professor of psychology who has focused on how climate change affects our mental health. And I'll also speak with two young people who are working for a better outcome for the planet. And of course, I want to hear from you. Do you feel a foreboding sense of doom about the future after reading reports like the recent one from the United Nations? Is the, clim- is the changing climate affecting decisions about your future, like having children or where you should live? And if you're the parent of a young person who's experiencing this type of anxiety, how do you help them? Give me a call at 651-227-6000 or send me a tweet at BrandNPR. Remember, there is a silent D in my first name. And joining me this morning is Susan Clayton. She's a professor of psychology at the College of Worcester in Ohio. She has studied the psychological impact of climate change. Uh, Susan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brant. I'm glad to be with you. I'm also joined by Nikki Naharasimhan, who is a 17-year-old incoming senior at Wyzetta High School. She's also a high school leader with youth environmental activists. Uh, good morning, Nikki. Good morning. It's great to be here. And also with us today is Sophia Curran-Moore. She is a 17-year-old incoming senior at St. Louis Park High School, and she is also a high school leader with youth environmental a- activists of Minnesota. Thanks for joining me. Hello. Thanks for having me. Great. And uh, Professor Clayton, I want to start with you right away. So I'm a little uh, confused about some of the terminology here, and hopefully you can help us straighten this out. So doesn't the term anxiety refer to an imagined or exaggerated fear of danger? But as we know, climate change is very real. So isn't it logical to be afraid or worried about the effects of climate change? Absolutely. And that's a very important point, that um, by describing the anxiety that people are feeling, We should not be implying that it's inappropriate. It's totally appropriate to be anxious about the problem that we're facing. Um, So I think the question is how to keep that anxiety at a level where it doesn't interfere with our ability to function. Is this a a common type of occurrence? The experience of climate anxiety? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Some anxiety, absolutely. You know, surveys, you just talked about the one from Pew Research. Um, Surveys tend to show that the majority of people uh, experience some concern, some, uh, you know, some worry and and what they even describe as anxiety associated with climate change. Right. And help us understand when this, um, the term climate anxiety uh, really started to uh, emerge and be accepted as something that's um, not just something you might read about in a, a, a magazine, a, but it's actually something that, that um, professionals have started to treat and notice more in, in the people that they see. Well, I won't say that that's something that's, that's uh, you know, that's a done deal. Um, climate anxiety is not a specific diagnosis, and I don't think it should be. I think it's a term we use to describe these emotional response people are having to climate change. So um, 
climate anxiety as a as a something that threatens your mental health is probably equivalent to other kinds of anxiety, at least as far as we know at this point. So um, it, it's not a diagnosis that everybody would accept the same definition of. But I would say, really, it's just within the last couple of years that um, it started to emerge as something a lot of people are aware of. And, and uh, you know, mental health therapists are beginning to pay more and more attention to. Right, right, um, and we're already starting to already starting to to hear from some of our listeners. And actually, I just I think it'd be appropriate to bring in uh, a caller right now who's who responded to one of the questions that we um, led off with, and I think it's important to 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 start this right now. And so I'd like to go to um, Andrew in in Farmington. Um, Andrew, thanks for giving us a call. And, and what would you like to um, contribute to our conversation this morning? Oh, hi. Uh, thank you for uh, taking my call, but. Um... So me and my girlfriend are both 19. Uh, we're finished with high school and we're kind of starting our own life outside of being a child, you know. And um, we've gotten to this point where it's, we'll both talk about climate change. It's like, are we going to have the future that we're trying to get to, you know, which is getting married, settling down, finding a place, which I know it's like, I'm a bit young to be even thinking about yet, but maybe I'm not because we don't know how much time we have left almost. Right. You know, and I'll, I'll be talking to my friends about this. And one of my friends, he was, we were talking about it, just the idea of what climate change could do to our planet. Sure. And he went home early and he talked to me the next day. He was like, that was, I freaked out all night long. Wow. You know, and it was like, it had a breakdown and all that. Sorry. Wow. Andrew, do, does it also affect um, how you think about where um, you would like to live someday? Oh, absolutely. I, I've sat there, um, with my girlfriend and talk like do we just go up as far north as we can comfortably you know Mm -hmm. make sure we stay cool for as long as we can but i mean she doesn't want to be super cold i like the winter but she doesn't so you know right well andrew thanks very much for for that question and and your concerns um and i think uh, uh the professor has probably heard um some similar concerns um first professor clayton what do you think about when you when you hear andrew talking about this well, I, I feel very sad that uh, that he and his girlfriend and other people like him are, are feeling this way. It's not a surprise, but um, it's a terrible thing to have to think to yourself, are we going to have a future? I think one of the things that really struck me is the sense that um, if they have a future, will it not be the one they expected? And I think that's one of the most significant things about climate change is that it's disrupted our knowledge about what the future should look like, what we can expect. And Mm -hmm. so even though there might not necessarily be dread, there's this sort of black hole as people think about, well, what what can we expect for the future? Right, right. I want to bring uh, Nikki and Sophia into the conversation now. And and Nikki, I'll start with you. Um, When you heard Andrew talking about his anxiety and in fear about the future. Is this something that you've heard even among your classmates? Um, yeah, for sure. Um, I guess it's becoming more and more of a common fear among people, especially of my age. And um, unfortunately, it's not something that we talk about a lot too. Like I don't hear it a lot in school. Mm-hmm. Um, so generally I find support through like the program I'm in. Um, yeah, I'm in a subsection of climate generation and that's mostly where I've been getting more and more support, but sometimes it still doesn't feel like it's enough. Right. Sophia, what about you? 
Yeah, I related a lot to Andrew, and um, it was interesting to hear him wonder if he's too young to be thinking about his future, because I'm a little bit younger, but I think about that all of the time, and it's really hard to picture a future when you don't know how climate change is going to affect that future Um, But you know that climate change will affect it. And especially being a young person in school, you're asked to prepare for your future all of the time and think about um, what college you want to go to, what job you want to have, where you want to live. And it's all of those decisions are heavily impacted by the climate crisis. Right. Sophia, do you also like Nikki, do you not hear a lot of your peers and classmates talking about climate change? Um, yeah, I would say sometimes people try to avoid it because it can come off as, like, too depressing or, like, you never know if, like, you're going to come across a climate denier and then that's a messy situation. But I wish people would be more open about it because we need to talk about this problem in order to work together um, to... Uh, mitigate its effects. Right. Do do you, um, uh, Nick, you can jump into this too. Are there people of your age who are what you would call climate deniers, people who, who just don't think the science is convincing? Um, um, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sophia, what about you? You've, you've encountered some people like that? Personally, I've never met anyone from my generation, but that's could that's probably just because of where I live. And if I lived somewhere else, I'm sure that would be a different story. Right, right. Um, Professor uh, Professor Clayton, I, I want to ask you about, um, let's talk a little bit more about, you know, when we were talking about young people in particular, um, how uh, maybe uh, some type of, um, if, if you've got some uh, research or uh, that can help parents understand what it's like for, to, to, to try to help Maybe they have a, a child or, you know, a young um, young child or older, even young adult child who is experiencing this type of anxiety. Is there a, a, a place where uh, parents can, can look to find some type of a, a advice on how to handle this type of um, anxiety in their, in their child? Well, there are, uh, there are some websites. Uh, I, I don't know any of them off the top of my head, but I'm sure if you Googled, you could probably find something. Um, I believe the Climate Psychology Alliance has resources for parents, for example. But I want to uh, kind of tie this into some of the comments from Nikki and Sophia about how this isn't discussed. I think part of the experience of climate anxiety, especially for young people, is the, the lack of social support um, in some cases, for these 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 concerns, and so I think it's very important for parents to validate their children's concerns, even though they might, you know, your instinct as a parent might be to say, "Oh, you're worried too much about nothing." You know, there's really nothing to worry about, but that just leaves the child feeling unsupported because they know there is something to worry about. So, um, helping to provide and create that social support and uh, acceptance of their worries is a first step. And then how the parent proceeds will probably depend on on the age of the child, certainly, and just how anxious they are. Because if they're 
just a little bit anxious, they can be helped to, I think, uh, to use that anxiety and to, to get involved in some way to take action that's meaningful. But if they're so anxious that they really can't function, then um, some sort of therapy to help them deal with that anxiety might be an appropriate first step. Right. If you're just tuning in, uh, my name is Brant Williams. I'm in for Angela Davis. And in this hour, my guests and I are talking about the psychological impact of climate change and how the the rapid heating of the planet is making so many of us anxious or depressed. If you have a question or a comment for our guests this morning, you just give me a call at 651-227-6000. Are you a young person who's making decisions about your future and and feel like maybe you you, um, don't know what you're going to do if you Maybe you don't want to have children. Maybe you uh, are thinking about moving uh, further north uh, to avoid some of the harshest effects of the warming planet. Uh, give us a call or tweet me at Brant NPR. Uh, we've got another caller on the line who I think also has another concern that uh, many people are sharing. Uh, David is calling us from Duluth. Uh, David, thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, what did you like to say? Hello. Yeah, I just turned 30. And I had a career in agriculture, and it felt like it was uh, part of the solution. This form of agriculture was sustainable, and, and it was really good for retaining topsoil. And, but the uh, life as a small farmer has become pretty impossible uh, because of the finance, uh, the, the money aspect of it. It's just gotten really difficult. Right. So I had to find a new career. And uh, luckily, it was in Duluth, so I feel like I'm in a little bit of a safer place. But the career is not part of the solution. I'm part, I feel like I'm part of the problem. I work for a private company in construction, and I find myself on Enbridge sites uh, or Minnesota Power sites testing materials. And I want to feel like I'm doing something that's on the right side of history. But if those jobs are out there, I can't find them, and especially mm. not for someone like me who doesn't have a university education, I'm blue collar. And so it's really nerve wracking and it feels like my life is going in the wrong direction. I'm losing sleep over this. Do do your guests have any input for me? Thanks, David, for that. Um, uh, Professor Clayton, I'll start with you. Um, I I just wonder if, again, with how climate change is affecting uh, some of our our industries and um, the economy, uh, are are we going to expect to see more and more people being anxious about their how they're going to make a living and, and in what sectors are they going to actually work? Absolutely, because climate change is definitely going to, you know, to shake up um, some occupations. They're going to be changed or some might uh, might vanish or really be reduced. I really appreciated David's perspective that he wants to be part of the solution and he worries that he's part of the problem. And so I would just want to say to him that, um, Two things. One, I think there are jobs. I'm not a, a, a career counselor, but I, you know there are growing jobs in in solar energy. So that might be something he would want to look into, or some kind of renewable energy. I know they do a lot of of training people uh, because it's it's really growing as an industry. But also that there are other ways to be involved other than through your career. So if you if you can't uh, if you can't make a contribution to addressing the problem through your career. Um, you can certainly get involved in a community group or you can just get involved in uh, political activism or whatever is most comfortable with you. And and the responsibility doesn't rest entirely on your shoulders. So, uh, you know, try to try to not get too anxious about that. Right, right. Um, and Nikki, let me ask you, um, uh, your um, 
coming in as a senior this year, and a lot of people in in your class are going to be trying to make decisions about uh, college and perhaps career fields as well. Uh, Do you have a sense that there are young people that are looking to be in uh, industries which are, quote, part of the solution? I definitely think it's becoming, um, or people are getting more and more educated on that we have more options and that a lot of those options are part of green jobs or, you know, jobs that generally work towards the environment. Um, It's not a super big career choice yet, and hopefully it will grow in the future. But I definitely do agree that, you know, it's it's slowly getting there. Right. Sophia, what about you? Yeah, I definitely have friends who are considering their career options in relation to climate change because um, they have their, or as young people, we all have our own passions, like, um, but we also feel this obligation that we have to study the climate because if we don't, then our passions won't really be um, feasible mm-hmm. as a career choice. And, um, yeah, I agree with Nikki that I wish that, um, more people are getting educated. And I think it's really important to have, um, education around green jobs. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, one of the things we're working on is, uh, as youth environmental activists is, um, improving, um, education about climate justice in the school system. And so um, I'd really like to see um, more discussion of green jobs in schools. Is that something, um, Nikki, that you'd like to also see in your school? Um, there be some instruction or some information for students about the green economy and how they can get started in it, um, uh, either if they go to college or not? Yeah, definitely. Um, educating especially young people, is one of the most important steps towards action. Professor Clayton, does this type of um, knowledge, this this type of education, as people are seeking out ways to be part of the solution, is that something that you feel is a way that that people can help uh, alleviate some of their anxiety about the the warming climate? Yes, very much so, because uh, I think one of the reasons people feel anxiety, it's, it's accompanied by this sense of helplessness that uh, they don't think they can do anything that matters or they don't know what to do. And so one of the ways of addressing that kind of anxiety is by learning what you can do, what we might call in another context, skills training. And so just telling people a little bit about their options, um, uh, for one thing, of course, can help them make those career choices, but can also help them feel more in control of the situation. And I think, um, one thing that really helps people deal with their anxiety in the face of this crisis is finding a sense of meaning, finding a sense of meaning to their life. And so if you can find an occupation that you value and, uh, and think is important, that can be really helpful. Right. And so, and just to be clear, um, there are people who, uh, it sounds like maybe have a hard time, um, disconnecting a little bit from the news. I mean, we do see a lot of these, um, news stories that are, basically detailing how uh, climate change is affecting our everyday lives is, 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 is it okay for people to, to maybe take a break from the news or is that just a way that people can just kind of keep denying and putting off 
actual action on climate change? Well, I think it's important for people to be informed. And, um, you know, I'm interested in hearing what Nikki and Sophia have to say about this. But it's absolutely okay to take a break and can be a very good thing if your if your anxieties reach too high a level, you know, to 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 take a break, to turn it off, uh, to go outside, go for a walk. Um, you know, the news doesn't typically change that quickly that we're going to miss something hugely important if we stop listening for a day. And the news is really, really important. And one of the things we've seen in, in recent years is the news media paying a lot more attention to climate change, and that's a good thing. But it does have a tendency to stress the bad news uh, more than the good news. And so uh, just for your own mental health, absolutely taking a break can be a good idea. We're joined again by Professor uh, our Professor Clayton from Worcester, the College of Worcester in Ohio. Uh, Professor, I want to get back to something that we've been getting some calls from people. And I want you to listen to uh, a couple of our callers here, and we're going to talk some more about what, excuse me, about what they have to say. Uh, let's go first to uh, Francisco, I believe, um, is on line, uh, is with us from Northfield. Francisco, what would you like to uh, contribute to our conversation? I just want to say that uh, I, in my case, I don't feel anxiety, but I feel a lot of, uh, I feel really guilty listening to my uh, my young kids, 21 and 25 years old, mm-hmm. blaming that our generation didn't do enough to mitigate the climate change. Right. And, and in a way, they're right, and uh, in many ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, my son, Simon, it went to the extreme to to live in Mexico. Now he's not living in the United States. He okay. lives, we have a farm. He wants part of his reason to to move out of the country is that he sees the statistics about how much United States pollute in the world, mm. and he went to the extreme that uh, part of his reasons to live now in Mexico is that he doesn't. He right. wants to live in a sim- more simple way trying not to contaminate and anything. And he, I mean, he lives in a really nice place and everything, but sure. uh, uh, me as a, uh, as a parent, I feel really guilty so that we didn't like, do any, enough. <laughs> right, right. So you're feeling that guilt, and, and I, that's why I wanted to ask Professor Clayton to, to pay attention exactly to, to what you're talking about. And uh, thank you so much for calling, uh, Francisco. And so, Professor, just as, as older... Uh, the older generation, I include myself in that, of did we not do enough to, to really take this seriously? And did we leave this mess for for our children and, and younger generations? Yes, I will <laughs> totally uh, take a position on that. We did not do enough, and we left a mess for our children. Um, and I certainly don't exempt myself from that. So I think, you know, anxiety is not the only negative emotion people are feeling, Um People feel grief, they feel anger, and they feel guilt. And it sounds like Francisco feels both a sort of personal guilt um, about his responsibility to his own children, but maybe also that idea of collective guilt that we as a nation, we as a society, um, did not do enough. And, um, you know, guilt is a very interesting emotion. Uh, It can be a a strong motivator of behavior because we want to redeem ourselves. But of course you have to know what to do that you can possibly redeem yourself for this inaction. Right. And um, there was a, an op-ed in the New York times just last week by Greta Thunberg, um, of course, the young climate activist, And she reiterated basically that, 
you know, um, adults have really failed to protect children from climate change. And so I want to ask Nikki, I'll ask you first, do do you agree with that? Um, I do. I think that the majority of the climate crisis could have been prevented with earlier action. Um, But at the same time, it's not um, the individual people that are guilty, but just collectively there, there was a lot of mistakes that were made. Right. Sophia, uh, uh, your same question to you. Do you feel like um, adults in the older generation here of, of us have, have failed you? Um, I would say that um, definitely more could have been done. Um, but on the other hand, we had less information about it. There was less education about it. So it is understandable why less action was taken. But I I would say that it's not too late. Like, if you're feeling guilty, then that you should start taking action. Um, yeah. Right, right. I, I want to bring in another caller, um, Emily from uh, Minneapolis. Um, Emily, thanks for calling. And what would you like to contribute to, to our conversation this morning? Hi. Um, I'm calling as a parent of... Uh, children who are, I think, the same age as, as your previous caller, um, and my nieces and nephews who are all who are in their early twenties, and for the most part, are saying that they're not planning to have children um, because they just feel like the future is just um, just not a, something they want to bring children into, and and seem to have lost some ability even for long term planning. Um, in kind of a hopeful way. And as a parent, I just wonder what are some strategies or what are some ways to kind of help think about long-term planning. And then also I'm wondering, is this um, decision to not have children, is this something that's happening globally or is this just my little, you know, my little world? Right. Emily, thanks for that. Um, Professor Clayton, um, what, what would you have to say to Emily? Well, uh, there are a lot of people who are talking about this. A lot of people, I would say, in their 20s who are talking about that decision to have children. Um, it is so, so it's something you see in other parts of the world, although, of course, there's a certain amount of, of privilege involved in being able to even make that decision or, or being able to question whether or not you have children. Um, but, uh, it, you know, we... Because we don't take the future for granted, um, or because especially 20-year-olds are not taking the future for granted, something that they might just have thought, okay, of course, the normal thing to do is to you know, get married, have children. Um, it, they're just questioning it now um, because everything else is also called into question. That I, I suspect that most of them, you know... It, it won't deter a lot of people from having children, but I think the fact that everything about the future seems in flux uh, leads them to recognize that this decision is also in flux. Right. You know, Professor, I, uh, in we we're planning this for this this topic for the show, and I've had some conversations with people in in, in my generation who are I'm in my fifties. Um, you know, I think back to, you know, I was born in 1967. My brother was born in 1964. My parents must have had um, a pretty, um, I don't know, difficult maybe conversation about bringing children into the world in the 1960s. Things were in turmoil then as well. I'm just wondering if if you hear, you know, uh, other people saying, well, you know, there's always going to be 
worries about having children, bringing children into the world. I mean, what what do you say to to people who who try to say, well, maybe this isn't as um, maybe there's there are parallels that that maybe we should be also paying attention to as well. I think that's a really good point. I, there have always been dangers, and there always will be dangers. Um, there were, you know, the the Cold War back in uh, in the middle of the last century. Um, you know, so the threat of nuclear disaster. Um, we have other dangers like like real wars. Um, you know, a lot of people face, or even more you know, perhaps subtle, but very powerful things like racism. So there, there are scary things that we have to face. Um, I do think that the way people are responding to climate change is a little bit different because of the way it does seem to affect the shape of the future. But, uh, you know, for people who think this is, we've never had to face a real problem. Well, well, yes, we have. It's kind of just a fact of life that there are always going to be um, threats and, and dangers. Right. Well, we got a bunch more callers on the line that I want to bring into the conversation as well. Uh, Michelle is in Shoreview. And Michelle, thank you so much for giving us a call. Uh, what would you like to say? Yeah, thank you. I, kind of bringing in a different perspective and shifting from people in their 20s to people in their 30s. I'm a mom of two young children, and it's just been obviously a really trying year with uh, with COVID and everything. And so Climate change has been important to me, important to my group of friends, and yet we're in survival mode, and so it just keeps getting pushed back and pushed back. Like, and so, so like, there's two questions I have. One, like, what are some small, really actionable things that that we could jump into and do, even though we're really overwhelmed with the rest of life and parenting right now? And second of all, how do we avoid this, this becoming? so much of a political divide the way that masks and vaccines have because uh, climate change is definitely a very divisive issue right. and how do we uh, as parents and also just you know community members work to find a way to unify because i feel like it, just with all the burnout that everybody's experiencing with their mental health it's like how do we find the time and energy to to focus on these things? And I think sometimes that's like bringing it to the small, actionable things, but right. also like how do we unit? How do we unify? Good. Thank you for, uh, so much for that. And and actually, I want to bring in some of our students on this one. Um, Sophia, uh, if you get a sense that that people around you are feeling very anxious about the the climate and want to do something, what are some of the things that you and members of of the group that you're involved with tell young people in their in their family and friends to to actually do to help alleviate some of their concerns? Yes, thank you for asking. So one thing you can do is get involved um, on the political side. Um, Lobbying your legislators is really important. Um, uh, One thing I've done a lot with the youth environmental activists is researching climate legislation that we want to support and then um, reaching out to our legislators and um, asking them to support. Um, or you can make changes in your own lifestyle. You can try to go zero waste or um, eat less meat, um, drive less. Um, there are a lot of things, a lot of lifestyle changes you can do. Um, and... Um, Yeah, those are the main things that I would recommend. Right. Um, 
Well, and we have a, a I'm just going to go to a caller who I think also has some ideas of, of how to get involved and in, in how to um, maybe alleviate some of those, that sense of anxiety. Uh, we have Greg in Minneapolis. Uh, Greg, sounds like you or yourself are getting involved in, in the solution. Yes, I certainly think that doing something makes you feel better about the situation. The kind of the problem is, as an individual, even if you make a Herculean effort, it's probably not going to move the needle. But my recommendation is to get involved with a, an organization. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I did is I started a group at my church. So right away I'm working with friends and people that are like-minded, and we didn't know what we were going to do, but we got together and we brainstormed and we found all kinds of things that we could do, bringing in speakers, reading books, planting a pollinator garden, switching our church's power over to a wind. So that was all very productive, and I think we feel good about that. Another thing that I've done is to join a and, and in terms of the big picture, what we really need is leadership, mm-hmm. pol- especially political leadership. And so we as citizens need to lobby to get that leadership and let the legislators know that this is an important issue for us. So I'm a member of a group called Citizens Climate Lobby, and it's great. It's very focused. They have a very specific plan on what legislation they're pushing for. And so I've joined that group, and I'm working with people that I haven't met before. They're wonderful people, all ages. We all have the same passion, the same interest, the same mentality. So I feel great about doing that, and uh, right. I would encourage others to do the same. Greg, thanks for that. I appreciate it. And, and Professor, just uh, get your sense. Of, I'd like to get your response to, to what he had to say about, um, and particularly mentioned that, you know, even that you're one person doing something and doesn't necessarily make a, a dent in the big picture, but uh, it helps to, to join together with others. So, uh, how do you respond to that? Well, I think that's absolutely true that um, getting involved in some way uh, makes you feel better because you don't feel so helpless. You know that you're, you're doing something. And I actually want to, um, to give uh, Greg a little bit more credit than he gave himself that even though one person's actions uh, are not going to make a dent, almost certainly, unless you invent, you know, a new form of renewable energy, um, your actions don't, don't end with what you've done. Um, You can have an impact on other people. So you can be a role model, for other people as well. Um, and you can create a, a trend in your neighborhood, or you can start an organization that attracts more and more people. And I want to just return to the question from the, the mother of young children um, about what to do. And I think in addition to you know trying to juggle the parenting and the addressing climate change, think about ways in which those can go together. And even young children can be given ways to help to participate in addressing the problem, like depending on their age, you know, a young child could be put in charge of the recycling or they could be the the monitor to walk around and, uh, you know, shut off the lights in rooms that nobody's in. So um, teaching children early on that there are ways for them to get involved, I think will have uh, a ripple effect on involving more people and also help with those uh, those mental impacts. Right. And I want to learn more a little bit about uh, youth environmental activists, the organization that Nikki and Sophia are involved in. And Nikki, tell me a little bit about, first of all, why did you join this particular uh, group and, and what are some of the things that, that you do? Yeah. So um, I guess I joined because I wasn't involved much with climate change before um, 10th grade, but 
I did know a few people involved with campaigns, which intrigued me to attend a few workshops and to learn more about the environment. And I ended up joining GAB because I wanted to try and help any way I could. And um, through the organization, we've organized um, a youth climate justice summit. Um, We've organized and participated in different workshops. We've worked towards creating an education bill and curriculum that will focus on um, climate justice in schools. If you're just tuning in, my name is Brant Williams. I'm in for Angela Davis. In this hour, my guests and I are talking about the psychological impact of climate change and how the rapid heating of the planet is making so many of us anxious or depressed. If you have a question or comment, give me a call, 651-227-6000, or you can tweet me at BrantNPR. Um, Sophia, the same question to you uh, about the organization and just some of the things that you do. Do you get a sense that it's making a difference? Yes, absolutely. So um, one of the reasons I joined was um, because of my love of nature and um, I want to protect um, our world and how beautiful it is. And also I just want to protect my future and um, the future of people that I care about. Um, And... Um, some of the things that we do, um, we are going to a protest on Wednesday at the Minnesota Capitol. So, um, I would say if you want to get involved, that would be a great place to start. Um, I, I went to the, uh, national climate strike walkout, um, a few years ago and, um, seeing like being in community with a lot of people who care about the issue um made um definitely made me want to get more involved and so um i would say if you can um find some um protests that you could attend um Mm -hmm. and other things we do um like i said we work a lot with legislators um we're working on a climate justice education bill um, and working with schools to teach about um, climate justice because um, I had never really learned about climate justice until I joined Youth Environmental Activists. And th- um, talk about that, that very quickly. Um, what does climate justice um, mean for you? I mean, I know it's a term maybe a lot of people have heard, but are not exactly sure what that means. Yeah, exactly. So, um the climate change or the climate crisis is um, just about um, how the climate is affecting the world and, um, and you know, all of those changes. But climate justice has an emphasis on how um, minority groups like people of color, people with disabilities, people with lower incomes, um, uh, those communities... Um, are disproportionately affected because they don't have um, the resources to um, combat the effects as well as other people do. Right. And so it's really important to prioritize um, the groups that need the most help. Yeah, thank you. Instead of prioritizing white people like our society has done um, for many years. Right. Professor, um, uh, give me your sense of of why that's so important that... that, um, when we talk about climate change and the effects and anxiety, um, 
that it's it's also having a, a much more um, uh, dire effect on people who are, as as Sophia mentioned, you know, people in communities of color, folks who are in uh, lower income uh, communities, um, people with disabilities. Um, it's 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 a lot more real for certain types of people, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Um, uh, It's absolutely the case that some groups are experiencing more environmental hazards, and the same groups tend to be more worried about environmental problems such as climate change. And so we we need to pay attention to that because it it should be fixed because it's an objectively bad thing. Um, I think it's part of... uh, just acknowledging reality as a whole. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't want to accept climate change because they don't like it. You know, a lot of people don't want to accept um, the reality that uh, there's inequity associated with race and ethnicity in this country. But, um, but both of those things are true. And only by acknowledging the realities can we start to do something. And then uh, just from a practical matter, you're never going to fix the problem um, by just by ignoring completely the experience of you know certain groups who are affected by that problem, so uh, we need everybody to be involved in addressing climate change. Right. I want to. Uh, we've got uh, several comments and calls on that. Um, I want to just. Try, I'm going to paraphrase a couple because they are in a kind of a uh, a group of concerns. Um, there is. We've heard from folks who like Ralph, who has said that we have uh, overpopulated the planet. He said the result is that the environment is responding. He said, I choose not to have kids. I chose not to have kids a long time ago. He said, my mom was a member of a zero population growth uh, movement back in the 1960s. Um, there's others who are saying, Julie from Bemidji said, she said, uh, I feel like some of this generation feels like people are the problem and are contributing to climate change. My oldest son will be 18. His generation feels like if we bring less humans onto the planet, the earth can heal. Um, Professor Clayton, is, is this something that you also hear um, as a part of the conversations when people talk about, um, you know, maybe some things that, that need to happen, what, what we can do in the future to reduce climate change? Um, is, is having less humans on the planet part of that conversation? Yes, absolutely. It comes up. And, and of course, objectively, you know, the, more, the more people you have, the more of an impact they're going to have. I think we need to hold that fact in mind next to another fact, which is, you know, the huge difference in impacts um, of one person from a nation like the United States and one person from, you know, an underdeveloped country. So uh, it's not just about the number of people, it's about their impact. And I think, um, although I I understand that perspective, I think by uh, just thinking that people are the problem and the only solution is to have, or the primary solution is to have less people, um, reduces the possibility that we can think about positive ways that uh, that we can have an impact as humans. And I think it's really important to allow positive emotions to be part of our attempts to address climate change, the kind of positive emotions you might feel from being part of a group that holds a protest rally, for example. Right. I have another caller I want to get on the line who I think um – uh, has some some valid concerns. Uh, Patty from Minneapolis. Uh, Patty, thanks for giving us a call. Um, what would you like to uh, contribute to the conversation today? Yeah, thanks for taking my call. I um, I've been working on climate change for about ten years now. I'm 31 years old, um, and just wanted to say that I think that 
it can really, because it's such a huge problem, can really feel so overwhelming to people and can result in people never feeling like they're doing enough and feeling kind of guilty around feeling like they're not doing enough. And what I found is uh, a way to kind of combat that is by doing, at least for me, what's worked is to do three things. It's to take those individual actions, which is making your own life more sustainable, reducing your own carbon footprint. And there's lots of different ways to do that, lots of resources on how to do that. It's taking those collective actions, too, because, you know, um, it's, I think, 100 companies, corporations are responsible for 71 percent of global emissions. So this is also it's very much a systems problem Mm -hmm. um, that needs policy change in order to fix it. And we need to be holding corporations accountable. So that's voting for climate conscious candidates. That is um, joining movements and um, protests and and things like that. And then the third thing that's helped me feel better um, is doing good self-care, taking care of yourself, being easy, like not being too hard on yourself. Um, And I, um, if you have access to therapy, counseling, I've been talking, I uh, see a therapist and I've been talking with her about these um, feelings because it's really, really overwhelming and hard to be a human right now and to right. be dealing with something like this. Yeah, for um, sure. So I would, I would also suggest that. Patty, thank you so much for that. And Professor, I, I want to ask you, as as somebody who is uh, in the in the field, um, is this something that uh, psychologists are trained or prepared to to talk to people about their their feelings, their anxieties, their worries and concerns about the the heating climate? Um, they are not for the most part trained. They are beginning to think about ways to better prepare themselves. Again, I think a lot of this is, it can be just like helping people deal with other kinds of anxiety. I mean, people who might have economic anxieties or anxieties about racism, you don't tell them there's nothing to worry about because clearly there is. So some anxiety techniques are going to be relevant here as well. Um, I think there have been therapists who have dismissed their their patients' concerns, and they need to not do that. Right. But um, <laughs> you know, the uh, a lot of mental health organizations are beginning to look at ways to play a greater role in addressing this problem and and being more mindful about the mental health impacts of climate change. Right. Um, we're just winding down here, and so I, I think. Uh, just really want to thank everyone for for giving us a call and with your concerns and your questions about uh, climate change and and how you deal with that. Um, Professor Clayton, uh, Susan Clayton from the College of Worcester, uh, thank you so much. Uh, Nikki Nahar Semhan and Sophia Curran Moore, I thank you as well. Uh, this conversation was produced today by NPR's Samantha Matsumoto. Uh, this is NPR News. My name is Brant Williams, and keep listening for more news and information today. to a recording of a live radio show on NPR News. You can hear Mike Mulcahy, Ewan Kerr, Catherine Richard, and other guest hosts during a live call-in show at 9 a.m. weekdays throughout the month of August. Looking for Carrie Miller? She's back talking about books and ideas at 11 a.m. every Friday starting September 10th. Thanks for listening. 